today we got the latest from Syria with draws galore, Juve sailing eight points clear, and Gattuso taking on the government. Plus, in our retro section, Pope's Porsches and three days in a coma. It's the life and times of Gigi Lentini. Hello, everybody. Hello, James Horncastle. Hey, James. And hello, Dr. Gabriele Marcotti. Great to be with you. I'm hyped. I'm amped. I'm oh. so psyched to talk about Gigi Lentini because it brings up Torino 91-92, the last great distinctly Italian football team. That's interesting. Gareth Stringer, we have to thank for providing this week's subject. I would still love a Golazzo, says Gareth, on the life and times of Gigi Lentini. And bingo. I hope you're going to enjoy this, Gareth. Let's set the DeLorean to 1993... And boom, off we go. In chiuso in camera e non vuoi mangiare, stringi forte a te il cuscino e piangi e non lo sai quanto altro male ti farà la solitudine. It is 1993, the 2nd of August. La Solitudine by Laura Pausini is a soundtrack for young lovers all over the peninsula. And on the highway to Turin, a Porsche lies in flames, its young driver sprawled across the central reservation. He is Gigi Lentini, the most expensive footballer in the world. I guess you're wondering, how did I get here? Well, Gabriele, it all goes back to the Philadelphia in Turin. That's right. Gigi Lentini, who, uh, of course, hails from the south of Italy. Calabria, I think. Yeah. Well, he was born in Turin. But well, before I know. His, start his, with his your parents uh, moved to Turin in the yeah. 60s from they're Calabria. From, yeah. okay. And they're from, which, again, not to go back into his 1960s. No. Economic boom in Italy, fiat needing people from the south. A lot of people in Turin trace their, uh, trace their history back to that. Mm-hmm. And he comes up and... He belonged to the era of sort of the, the the powerful winger, I think, more so than than anything else. He's also belongs to the era of well, one of the greatest production lines of Italian talent that existed in Il Calcio, uh, Torino, and their Philadelphia, no? Well, also they have a, a talent scout at the time, who I think also Vata. worked with Vatta Sergio Vatta, who was responsible for not only bringing through the likes of uh, Lentini, but I think. Um, if we go back to another goal after we talk about Buffon, I think um, obviously he works on the Hermes Fulgoni, but when it comes to being sort of a national coordinator and, and sort of identifying Gigi's talents at youth level, Vata was also influential as that. Also that um, the side that Totti was a part of, the Italy side. So yeah, very influential guy who's probably not on a lot of people's radars, I think. And now it all dried up and they just produce rubbish. Right. Well, <laughs> level. They closed down. I mean, the Torino closed down their, uh, their, their, their youth academy, no? It's Under, amazing. I did a big project on this. The least productive part of Italy in terms of producing top flight footballers, once you adjust for mm. per capita GDP and infrastructure and all those things, is Piedmont. It's, it's absolutely shameful how one of the wealthiest areas of the country that's basically identical to the areas nearby, like Liguria or uh-huh. Lombardia, that you know do pull their weight in producing footballers is Naples almost nothing. Is Campania the the number one area on a per cap on like sort of footballers per million? It's actually it's Liguria. Uh-huh. Um, Campania is the only area in the south that does well. Uh-huh. But there is sort of a belt: Campania, Lazio, Toscana, Emilia, 
and then Lombardia, but obviously that's more. Okay, Liguria, the area around Genoa anyway. But there's this big hole in Piedmont. Which I said, it's pretty appalling when you consider... Claudio Marchisio pulled himself out. He's the only... (laughs) He's one of the very few. (laughs) Okay. Well, back in those days, you had an incredible generation of talent coming through at Torino's Academy, the the Philadelphia. And one of the stars, perhaps at the time, the, the greatest star was Gigi Lentini, who was good enough to make his debut for the first team at the age of just 17 under Gigi Radici. I must admit, I would miss that he broke through that early in, in 1986... Uh, they send him away for a while to Fare Liossi to kind of build up a, a little bit of his strength. And he comes back, and Torino are in Serie B at the time. They come up to Serie A under the great and much-missed Mondo, Mondonico, mm. Emiliano Mondonico. Who feature regularly throughout Lentini's career, not indeed. only at Torino, but uh, later Atalanta and Cosenza as well. And that Torino side, with a bit of money spent on it, has a couple of unbelievable seasons. Their first season up, they finished fifth. That's the 1991 campaign. And then 91-92, they have an un- un- now unthinkable third-place finish. I mean, they're in the title race, and they're the woodwork away from winning the UEFA Cup final. That's right. In fact, that summer, uh, when they had their, sort of the, the, their campaign, and then, again, younger listeners, bear in mind, this is a time when uh, when we were kings, um, when Serie A was outspending everybody and you had, you know, just the greatest talents in the world all playing in Italy. And Torino, who, you know, they had some money, but probably maybe sixth, seventh, eighth in terms of budget, they just put together this incredible side that went in the run. And, and at some of they had these ads that said, uh, terzi in Italia, third in Italy, secondo in Europa, second in Europe, primi nel mondo, first in the world. Which in, in many ways they were because I have memories of, of this incredible team. And, you know, in midfield you had Martin Vasquez and teamed up with Enzo Schifo, the, the Belgian legend. Also, of course, uh, the, the son of uh, immigrants. You had a young Christian Vieri on the bench who mm. contributed little or nothing. Did this guy Policano on the wing who, who was just sort of this big horsey, galloping left back who'd go and just just belt it. I mean, I think you can find some of the highlights of his goals on on YouTube. Up front, you had Walter Casagrande, who is this Brazilian striker who would later become famous for getting really fat. And, he was uh, huge. He looked a bit yeah. like Andre the Giant. Also had a big coke problem later in his career. Oh, which with he, Pato Aguilera. He, in, yeah. yeah. I bumped into him, actually. He became a very successful pun on television. I bumped into him in uh, in Brazil, actually. We, we shared a lift. And there wasn't much room left. Um, <laughs> but, I, and at the back, one of my favorite characters from Italian football. Pasquale Bruno. Pasquale Bruno, I have to tell the Pasquale Bruno, I mean, uh, Hearts fans, I know there's many who listen to us will, of course, uh, remember him. Pasquale Bruno, of course, the ultimate nasty hard man. But a and- real sweetheart off the field. I spent a little bit of time with him and his family. He was, he was the nicest guy. But on the field, he was, you know, as his name suggested, an animal. And the, do you remember that time when he tried to take the referee apart? And funnily enough, it, it was Lentini. It was one of the earliest instances of a top knot that I can remember in football. Oh, yeah? It's Lentini, the slender, gazelle-like figure of Lentini who's, who's holding Bruno back. Stefano Tacconi, the uh, uh, Juve goalkeeper, because ah. he also played for Juve, of course, mm. tells a story that he used to room with, uh, with Pascale Bruno. And sometimes Tacconi couldn't sleep and he'd wake up and Pasquale Bruno would be sitting up in bed and he'd be staring at the television, which was off, and he would just be fixating on, you know, the standby light, the little red light in the dark. And he looked at him and he said, I 
do I say something like, what the hell are you doing? Or do I just kind of turn around and pretend it never happened? He was, yeah. He, he the was guy, intense. <laughs> the guy was intense and had issues. No, the other guy I was going to mention ah. is Roberto Cravero. Cravero. Ah, okay. So, because when I said that this he is... He didn't have a top knot. No, no. And eventually later he lost all his hair too. And yeah. it became really ugly. It happens to the best of us. Yeah. Um, but when I say this was like the last sort of successful, stereotypically Italian team, and again, it's fitting that it was it was a Mondonico side. Carvero was was a sweeper, but he was one of those sort of sweepers who really didn't defend. He wasn't a defender. He was just literally a guy who stood back there, who's slow, like, he was like as, as slow as, as, as La Mole in Turin, uh, in the sense he didn't really move, but he would kind of stand behind everybody and just get the ball and and he would start passing it around from the back. And I know it sounds, I'm not, I'm not doing it justice, but mm. a character like that could not exist in the modern game. You had Luca Marchegiani. You had Luca, that's right. Cravero and Marchegiani would later go down, of course, to the, to the capital to join Lazio. Lazio, but Marchegiani, the old great keeper, he was Luca Fusi in the there very as well. aristocratic Luca Marchegiani. Mm. Yeah. Luca Fusi, of course, mm. would, who had had the honor of playing with Maradona in, uh, in Naples. We should mention Enrico Noni, a.k.a. Mm -hmm. Tarzan, since mm -hmm. we really, he wasn't the only guy from that team to go on to play in Scotland. Was, he, was he called Tarzan because of his hair? I, I never knew why he was called, he was called Tarzan. Right. He, he didn't have hair, basically. Yeah. When he, yeah. When he left Roma, he, uh, he paid for a big banner, uh -huh. which read, uh, Tarzan uh, thanks the fans for their support and everything. And right. So it was Tarzan and this guy, Silvano Benedetti, who's a sort of very sort of aristocratic looking blonde guy. They were, they were the, the center backs and Cravero was a sweeper. And you had this, this, this the beastly Policano down the wing. And, uh, and the man at the heart of a lot of their exploits in Europe that season as they went past Real Madrid in the UEFA Cup to make it to that two-legged final was Gigi Lentini. Lentini, Valentini, Puntacendo. Scattasi a fondo campo, Valentini, il cross, la palla per Fusi e c'è gol di Fusi! 2-0 per il Torino, 2-0 per il Torino. And then who did they meet in that UEFA Cup final, 1992? One of Gab's favourites, Louis van Gaal. Yeah. <laughs> Hardly Louis van Gaal. And his, and his Ajax team, which, again, you go back and you see how absolutely loaded with talent that Ajax side was. You know, from, from Clarence Seedorf to Edgar Davids to uh, a young canoe who might have been old back then, but we will never know, um, to, 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 to a couple of De Boers, to Reitziger, to Yari Lippmann. Yeah. Danny Blind, Aaron Vincent, Dennis Bergkamp, Brian Roy. <laughs> on, the, on the bench, there's Van der Sar. Yeah. You know, this Torino Van der Sar, you can't get in the side. <laughs> <laughs> this Torino team basically has a 2-2 with them in Turin, in which Lentini sets up Casagrande. And then uh, it's nil-nil in Amsterdam, but I think they hit the woodwork three times, Torino, but come away empty-handed. And, and, and that's kind of the high point. But, I mean, that was one of the most iconic moments in of that era in Italian, and particularly Torino history, which is full of kind of tragedy and misfortune, of Mondonico raising his, his chair in mm. protest now. And I think, um, was it a year ago when Mondonico passed away? That at his funeral, everyone, everyone did that. Nice gesture. Well. That proved the high water mark of that Torino side, because what with the Tangentopoli affair that's overwhelming all aspects of Italian society and with the fact that Lentini is such a prized possession, a, a young, skillful, homegrown, 
very multi-person. I mean, he can play on either side. He's got, I mean, it, what the talents that made him stand out, Gab? What, what would you say? He was obviously he was he was very fast, but he was also he was very powerful when he ran down the wings. I mean, he was had sort of that that reedy like strength. He was a good finisher, and. If you look back at some of his goals, a lot of them are headers, just him appearing at the, at the far, far post. post. Yeah, yeah. Mm. and he create he created mismatches because obviously at the size against fullbacks, you know, if if you put a bigger guy on him, he'd run past them. If you put a smaller guy on him, he'd outmuscle them. Um, you know, he really was one of those sort of early prototype wingers. He had a bag of tricks. Mm-hmm. In some ways, I'm going to go for another cult hero. Although he's not Italian, in some ways he, he had a little bit of the Joaquin about okay. him. Um, with some of his tricks, but then in other ways he was more like Luis Figo. So yeah, I mean, I know I'm hyping him to no end. And no, but know he, what everyone next, was. But... So this was the summer of 1992, and Borsano has to sell. The club have got huge debts, and it, just a, a bit of context here. It's a it's a crazy summer. I mean, you were talking about back when we were kings. I mean, this was crazy. You had Milan who'd come off a, a perfect season. They hadn't lost the previous campaign in in Serie, a, which was Fabio Capello's first year in charge. Uh, you had Juve, who were keen to get back on top, and the two of them have this kind of transfer war. Juve by Gianluca Vialli from Sampdoria for twelve million, which was, I think, a world record at the time, breaking the world record that had just been set by Milan, who brought in the Ballon d'Or Jean-Pierre Papin to uh, Milanello. Oh, and just to put this in perspective, those figures, right, which now sound like nothing in particular. Do you know what the English transfer record it was? was two point three million pounds. It was Gary Pallister to Manchester United. It just, yeah, I think like actually, Keith Curl. This, sorry, was it, you going to say Keith Curl? No, I was going to say Alan Shearer. I think that year it was three point one million. Uh, yeah, three point five maybe. So, but it was right. in the threes. Right. And this is like four times that, three times in one summer. Mm. The Italian clubs are, are doing because then Juve and Milan go up against each other for Lentini. But Lentini could never join Juventus. Yeah. So he ends up getting into Berlusconi's helicopter instead of Agnelli's Fiat. So, exactly, yeah. <laughs> do, do, do you have the pound equivalent well, at, at the, the time, time? at the time, people said £13 million, and this was a world record, and it caused... So four times Alan Shearer. The Pope. What did the Pope say, James? I can't remember exactly he what the said, Pope said. He it said it was an offence to... I think the principles of hard work. The profanity. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And had he known how much they actually paid, I I can imagine he would have been even more upset because the early 90s was when, you know, traditionally you you paid one figure on paper and then you also gave the other club a hotel in Baldanecchio or whatever, as they did with Dino Baggio. Uh, But in this case, I think the actual figure is estimated to be around a third again. So it's about 20 million uh, is probably the actual figure. Um, the other figure, of course, was was paid off the books, mm. which later landed a whole bunch of people in trouble. Except, Although, funnily enough, <laughs> not you know who. Well, yeah, this was the extraordinary coincidence. So this, so Galliani and and Berlusconi were both basically in trouble because of this fact that yeah, somebody looked at the books and went, "Hang on, there's all this <laughs> like black money that's been paid." But when Berlusconi took power the second time, the first, literally the first thing the government did was pass a law decriminalising false accounting. And so it was that in 2001, uh, basically the, the whole thing was just wiped clean. Maybe it was Lee, Lee Young Hong's money. Perhaps mm. so, perhaps so. Extraordinary. Now you've got Lentini, who's the most expensive footballer in the world. Apparently he didn't want to leave Torino. He says that uh, Berlusconi sent the helicopter to pick him up and bring him to Arcore, his kind of legendary 
estate outside of, of Milan where he explained to him that the deal was already done and, and, and that was that. And so off to Milan, Lentini yeah, went. He, he says that um, Berlusconi flew his helicopter to come and see him and he, he turned him down uh, initially. So I don't understand you know, what happened there, whether you see Berlusconi kind of opening the door with the, with, with the choppers kind of go, going and he's just like, no, no, I ain't coming. But this is the classic thing where owners who have to sell end up presenting players as kind of traitors and mercenaries, isn't yeah. it? where he's like, you know, I didn't want to go. Torino fans, though, they kind of broadly saw through this. And in fact... Shortly thereafter, Borsano was, he was in a restaurant in central Turin. Word got around, and this was before Twitter and social media and before mobile phones even, unless you had those, those big shoe phone things. <laughs> and the crowd gathered and said he was inside. And when it came time for him to leave, he was showered with coins and insults. He needed a police escort. He went back inside to hide. And it kind of mirrored what had happened with the end of the First Republic and yeah. your pal Bettino Craxi. Mm. Mm. 92-93, Channel 4 just starting its coverage and there is in this all-star Milan team, Gigi Lentini. His first season at Milan, there's the burden of the price tag. It's a pretty difficult side to even get into, but he gets 30 appearances, scores seven goals. It's not... Scores in the derby. Scores in the derby. Mm -hmm. It was to prove probably his best ever because... Just ahead of the second season, on the night of the 2nd of August, 1993, he's returning from this pre-season friendly down in Genoa, driving extremely fast in his Porsche. He has a blowout on his tyre. He changes the tyre. He puts on, you know, that little mini tyre that they have for emergencies. The, donut, the one that says, do not, not to be driven at speeds of above 30 miles an hour. Exactly. That one, James? Yeah. And he does about 200 kilometres an hour on it. And it's about 120 out. miles an hour, yeah. And why is he in such a hurry, James? Uh, because he might be going to see uh, Rita Schilacci, which is uh, not related Toto to Toto. It's Toto's wife. Right. <laughs> so she was in Turin, and she confirms this story. I mean, this was always the story at the time, but she's, she confirms this now, no? Yeah, I mean, she was talking about it, what, only, only last month, I think, mm -hmm. that, um, yeah, she was with uh, Toto Schilacci until, I think, 1995. This is 93. But they Len had a Lentini talks about he, he felt that their relationship was already over, um, that it was okay for them to go, but they, they weren't having an affair, they were just going about it this way. And she came to see him in hospital after this, uh, this accident. So she wasn't hiding uh, in, in any way from it. But um, yeah. her relationship with Toto, she said, was um, had become, it had gone to a dark place, it had mm. become obsessive. <laughs> Which is hard to imagine with Toto. I would have imagined, yes. <laughs> of all people, that guy. So anyway, oh, there he is. She, says, she mm. said in this interview in October that it was it was to get back at Toto. This was, this was really? out of spite. Yeah. That's why she hooked up with the younger mm. Gigi Lentini, who's doing his best to get back to Turin to see her, but ultimately loses control. The car ends up a complete wreck in flames. He somehow thrown clear probably nobody knows how but he ends up lying in the central reservation and is found there by a truck driver who parks his camion across the road to stop anybody else coming in and and he gets taken off to hospital and he's i mean it's kind of touch and go for a while but he spends a as i recall three days in a coma um and the result of that is he pretty much has to relearn everything in terms of motor functions and, and stuff he, he was out for the whole of i think he came back for one game at the end of the next season 
but he was never the same player again. No, he had some okay seasons after that when he kind of moved down a level, but yeah, it wasn't it wasn't the same. I think also kind of pop psychology, but people mm. have sort of suggested that when you see your own sort of mortality questioned to that degree and you go back, some people either go all out and play every game as if it were their last and others kind of there's more to life. withdraw and say there's more to life and hold something back. Yeah, because I mean, he he said that um, he was sick of people saying that he was no longer the same after the accident. Mm. And he was like, well, for me, where my kind of passion enthusiasm for football ended was in the 95 was it, was it the, the final against Ajax in Vienna? Oh, yeah. Where he said he, he felt he was back in form, should have been starting. He only comes on in the final five minutes of that game. Well, this um, was his big chance for revenge, of course, in a European final against Ajax, Ajax. the team that had cost his Torino the UEFA yeah. Cup. Given who his manager was at the time, <laughs> Fabio Capello, no, always known for such sentimentality. Well, that's the thing. That he didn't indulge him. You know, mm. everyone always says the coma did for him, but was it the fact that when he came back, it was Capello, not he the most... He had to look at Capello's pay- face every day. Well, <laughs> But no, I mean, he does say that. After that, he was just like, football, it's, it's a job. It's not, it's not my life. So he leaves Milan and, and Capello at that point in, in what, 96, I think, the following season, goes to rejoin Emiliano Mondonico at Atalanta mm. and then goes back to Torino in 1997 where he hooks up with all sorts of interesting people, including... Tony DiRigo. Tony DiRigo. <laughs> who, who tried once to pass in the ball and get it back, but never got it back and then gave up passing in the ball, according to Tony. And this, again, follows another theme in sort of his history with Torino of right. hitting the woodwork because DiRigo misses the penalty for them to get promoted um, against Perugia in what is essentially a, a playoff, which... Um, Ends up turning into sort of a mega brawl in the we, dressing room. Oh, is this yeah. when you... The, the, the Matarazzi challenge? Macilazzi. Mat- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's a horrible two-footed Matarazzi challenge on him that's... Oh. Yeah. There's yeah. a great YouTube clip of, of the challenge, which mm. is horrendous. Mm. I mean, two-footed into his ribs, and after, after the game, Lentini's complaints, like, you know, if we had sort of retrospective actions, they would have seen I've been elbowed in the face twice, set pieces by Materazzi. Before this challenge, he tried to kill me. And then basically he takes me out, stretch it on, and he pulls his shirt up. And I mean, it's it's like he's got puncture wounds. He's got his, his he's got studs run down his leg. I say is respect the matrix. <laughs> Seriously. With all the money that this guy made, uh-huh. with the fact that I don't want to be unkind, but but the whiny wins you. There's a referee there to do a job. Materazzi in the early part of his career might have been a little bit over enthusiastic mm-hmm. with with some of his uh, some of his challenges, but Lentini could also dish it out too. Okay, so, so it, the, he does manage to bring Torino up and uh, and has a nice spot. As you mentioned with Graham Sunes, mm. that didn't work out so well. I met him at that time, and he was a, a changed person by his experiences, and I think was weary of the whole price tag business, as you mentioned, weary as well of a of trying to compete with a, a, a tool in this sense, his body that didn't do what it used to do. So I think that would distance you, would would kind of dim your enthusiasm for the whole thing. But he seemed kind of happy enough, and that's kind of how, to, how his career went. He just kind of like drifted further and further away from the the limelight. There's one stage where he takes like almost a year out. Um, after after Torino, and then he decides to go back to Calabria. I'd forgotten that. And, pl- and plays for Cosenza. Right, and they um, go all the way down to Serie D. Yeah, but he stays with them. Yeah, I mean they almost get promoted to the top flight. I think Mondonico is the manager again there. Then they survive, and then they basically go bust. They go under. He's captain of the team. 
they have to completely start from the bottom. And he's uh, he decides to stick with them, and mm. that's you know one of the reasons why he's a he's a bit of a Casenza legend, right? And it's also part of the reason why it is relevant that when we mentioned where he's from, right, a lot of people people in Italy are often very attached to their to their roots, and even though he grew up in in Turin and was born in Turin, his family's in Turin, he also had strong ties to sort of his ancestral home. When you look at the the way that he made the headlines in in the early 90s, and then particularly with that transfer to Milan, it's tempting to classify him as a as, as his career as a failure, essentially. I mean, he never did anything internationally. I mean, Italy didn't get to the 92 Euros, which I guess would have been his big chance. Oh, no, and he's, he talks about the big regret of that car accident is he misses out on the 94 World Cup. Right. And he played some of the qualifiers between 92 and 94, obviously missed most of 93, but... Right felt that he had a real shot of being a part of that squad and maybe contributing to it. Would have been interesting to see. Mm. Yeah. I've thought about this many times. Okay. <laughs> the thing is, it was Baresi and Baggio who missed the penalties. Right. Those were Italy's two best penalty takers. So it really wouldn't have made a difference. Maybe it wouldn't have gone to penalties. Yeah. Arrigo Sacchi was the manager. I'm not sure that he would have played that much. Okay. Well, he would have been part of a World Cup squad and people now would probably think of Lentini as being something other than the thirteen million pound most expensive footballer in the world who wiped out on a highway on the way to see someone else's wife, amongst other things. The point is, I guess, that he seems happier now mm. than he was back then. Uh he's running his restaurant stroke billiard hall. Yeah, as we mentioned, he's 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 taking part in his snooker tournaments around the mm-hmm. around the area in which he lives. Not his, really snooker, though, is it? No, no. His son I mean, is uh, a plays. I don't know what level, but is a goalkeeper. Intriguingly enough, mm-hmm. and he's got a very philosophical take on it all. He says, "Prima o poi il pallone si sconfia e tu torni ad essere un comune mortale come ce ne sono tanti." The ball, it's a big inflated thing, and sooner or later it goes down for everybody, and you end up just like everybody else. So. There you go. Gigi Lentini, for a while, he certainly wasn't like anybody else. But welcome to the pack, Gigi. (laughs) (laughs) Right, let's talk about what's going on with the current crop of overinflated superstars in Serie A after this. Busy weekend as Il Campionato Più Bello del Mondo returned to action after the international break. All the players taking the field with a dab of red paint on their cheeks to protest against violence against women, which is a nice touch. Mm-hmm. They did it last year as well. This weekend saw Juve go eight points clear at one end of the table, and yay, Chievo earning another point at the other, Gab. They're now just ten points from safety. They're coming. No, they're not. No, they're not. <laughs> this is after they held Napoli nil-nil at San Paolo. What has happened there? Napoli created more chances. They couldn't finish them. Sorrentino made some great saves, and mm. the pitch didn't help. And Insigne also missed a bit of a sitter. It wasn't just Insigne, yeah. Insigne but was he bad. did he hit the post. Insigne yeah. was bad, but it's just one of those days. Okay, but a good day for Mimo Di Carlo, in the his new first manager, match yeah. in charge. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> they're no longer pointless. They are no longer pointless. Mm. So, and a good weekend in, in general for. I might dispute that, but anyway. <laughs> Also, they helped out Juventus, which I'm I'm not sure, you know, again, does Kiev any favours. Another new manager, 
Davide Nicola, uh, who took over Udinese, got uh, his tenure there uh, after a winning start with a 1-0 win over Roma, which would be surprising, except that just Roma keep on doing this. Tremendous goal, though, from Rodrigo de Paul. Mm. He's um, one of the informed players. Well, one of the players of the season so far, I'd say. In I'm surprised they haven't. I thought they were going to cash in on him. Well, there's, there well, was maybe an offer from will. Fiorentina on the table. Is there? In this, well, no, in the summer there was. Ah. And they, I think they were holding out for more. There's a lot no of people saying that from. that's the player that Milan need and will come onto Milan and their, mm. and their issues are otherwise very shortly. But just to say that, what is it with Roma, though, that they can't beat teams from the, the, the bottom six? Well, yeah, I mean, you mentioned that, James. I mean, they've taken just a point from games against uh, Chievo, Bologna, Spal, um, and Udinese, which teams you'd expect them to be cleaning up against. I mean, just to put the game on Saturday night in some perspective Udinese had taken a, a point from the last seven games they haven't scored at home since September um, and look David Nicola kind of stayed true with the system that Velasquez had but completely different sort of approach in that he added a more kind of physical um, body in midfield in Berami just to completely clean out Lorenzo Pellegrini um, went strikerless didn't play Kevin Lozani so he had De Paul and, and Pusetto who, um, yeah, he's impressing me, that Ignacio Pusetto. Mm-hmm. So they've got quite agile guys. When they broke, um, they broke quite well. Roma, they have a hard time creating clear-cut chances, uh, hard time scoring. And it just I think with them, they're always looking, if they can get the first goal, then that that's when it really suits them because teams start to come out and they've got more space to play. And instead, you know, you look at all the kind of... And Di Francesco cites this after every game. You know, we had 26 shots and all this sort of thing. 25 of them are from outside the box. Yeah. The XG isn't great if you're Di Francesco, especially as James says, like when the score is deadlocked or they're behind, they end up just taking a lot of... And Di Francesco, he always encourages players to to, to, to try and do something individual and so on to get an edge. But if you don't pull it off, you get afternoons like the one against Udinese. Well, he may end up an ex-manager if, if, if this continues. So there... That feeling seems to be building still in, in the capital. Frustration with the lack of well, success. Paolo Sosa is actually saying he wants the job. Yeah. Well, he's, it's strange. <laughs> I mean, he came out some time ago and said this. No? A couple of weeks like, ago, yeah. Yeah. You're listening to Galazzo, the totally Italian football show. Sunday night, James, you went to, or Sunday evening, you went to the Stadio Olimpico for Lazio Milan, mm. which ended damp. up a 1 1 draw. Good game? Uh, I think good games may be a bit of a stretch. I mean, I was impressed by Milan relative to where they're at now, which is I was expecting Lazio to to win this game because I think you're you're not going to get a better opportunity to to beat a side like Milan given that they had so many players out injured. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the, the spine of the team was was not there. Romagnoli, Biglia, and also Higuain was suspended. Bonaventura. Mm-hmm. He played a, he's got so many centre-backs out that he played 3-4-3 with freaking Christian <laughs> Zapata. Ignacio Abate. Abate, who, I don't know, other than run fast, relatively fast, I don't know what he does. Mm. And Ricardo Rodriguez is another one of those guys who, you know, talking about atypical, like, he's, he's another one who's he's the size of a house and he plays left back slowly. And I guess just because he's tall, like, oh, let's put him in the middle. And yet somehow it worked. And then Kessie, I thought, was was, was good. Bakayoko mm-hmm. was good in midfield. And I mean, I don't know, you were there, but mm. if Donnarumma has an average game, Milan lose this heavily, right? Yeah. No, without, without doubt. And I mean, if clever clogs... Simo. 
Ooh, 25 minutes to go. Ooh, oh, a draw is a good result. Let me take off Luis Alberto and, and SMS, so Milinkovic Savic, because, you know, they, they haven't done anything yet. And let me go and send a signal that we're happy with a draw. And, you know, 1980s are over, dumbass. I, this sorry. is Simone Inzaghi. And, and this, this, this is the thing that Inzaghi has to prove in my eyes, mm-hmm. is that... He knows anything? <laughs> no, I, no, but the, the thing He's better than his brother, yeah, okay. But, but the thing that's stopping them from getting into the Champions League is, is they have a horrendous record in these big games. You know, I mean, that's ultimately what cost them in May last year, when their, their destiny is in their hands to mm-hmm. get into the Champions League. And they end up shooting themselves in the foot, out choking Inter, which is saying something. Um, so, and again, that's what I, that's what I was saying. This was a golden opportunity for them to basically take advantage of this moment that Milan right. are going through. This was the big duel between fourth he, and fifth. He settled for the draw. He, right. he, yeah. he sends on his Jordan Lukaku, who you know for 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 Milinkovic Savic and I forget what the other guy he brought on was, but. Fucking Guerrero got the equaliser in the 94. Oh, was it? Well, then that yeah. kind of puts his changes in perspective. No, it doesn't because it's nil nil when he brings them on, and then Milan score, and then at the end, Correa pulls a shot out of nowhere. Also because you know, I mean, by that point they're they're exhausted, uh-huh. and as I'm sure we'll talk about, Cattuso was absolutely crucified by certain people for not making any substitutions. So, uh, yeah. so after the game, which it, Milan, given all the absences, Higuain and, and pretty much all their defenders, mm. uh, did pretty well out of to get a, a point yeah. away at Lazio. Matteo Salvini, the vice president and the minister of the, of the interior, yes. yeah, basically... Uh, Calls up Teo yeah. Lombardia. Let's have a chat about, about what happened there. Uh, in in Rome today, he's basically he's the co-prime minister. Italy theoretically have a prime minister, but did I call him the vice president? Yeah, so the sorry deputy prime minister. Not really, because well, I think they no. they might be that too. But yeah. he and this other guy, Di Maio, effectively are co-prime ministers. They have this guy who's just a a figurehead named Conte, Conte. no relation <laughs> as far as we know. Uh, I'd rather actually the other Conte was in charge, uh, and that's saying a lot. So because he doesn't obviously doesn't have much on his plate. He went to the game, and then, of course, what does he do? He's sitting at home eating a sandwich, watching, uh, and, and he calls up to... Actually, how did he get back to Milan quickly enough to watch to call up Tele Lombardia? Or was he still in Rome? Yeah, he must have been still in Rome. It's impossible, because it was so 5 o'clock in Sunday. You can't get Tele Lombardia in Rome. Yeah, but he calls them up. Oh, so he's not even watching a show when he decides no, to call them up. You know, and yeah, Maybe they called him. But anyway, so he basically then takes Catuzzo to task. Yeah, and um, and says that, why is he playing Barini? Uh, my grandma's better than Barini. Um, I don't have a coaching license, but I could do a better job than Gattuso right now. In fact, anyone who's not at home cooking their pasta for their, for their family could do a better job than Gattuso. And Gattuso, quite rightly, in the press conference afterwards says, I think you've got bigger problems to deal with now. Mm. Shouldn't you be running Italy? I, as Italy? an Italian, would have one or two things to say to you, Mr. Salvini. <laughs> well, the other thing is, Look at who was on the bench for Milan. Right. I, I thought, other than maybe Laxalt to have a pair of fresh legs to run around, although, you know, he was just on international duty, there's well, nobody so- you could have brought on. I mean, they, 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 they're all corpses. That, that, that's what he, he had all these dudes nobody's ever heard of. Mm. And people like Mauri and, and Bertolacci, who, who I don't think have, pl- have played football in years. Montolivo was on the naughty step. So what are you going to do? The other thing that uh, Salvini came out with was uh, he weighed in on the whole question of uh, Ibrahimovic, whose return to Milan does seem to be getting more and more concrete by the day. He said basically he didn't think that Milan needed Ibrahimovic. Their problems were actually in the middle of the field. They needed somebody like Depaul. Yeah, although Depaul doesn't play for Milan, so... (laughs) (laughs) Will Ibra play for Milan? 
I don't know. The one thing which makes me slightly suspicious about this and maybe a little insight in how the media works. So you open Gazette dello Sport, was it Tuesday last week, and you have three pages of like, oh, Ibra's available, and this is what it would cost, and this is how to do it, and these little things, and like, these are Ibra and Mrs. Ibra's favorite restaurants in Milan, and like, this is their dog, and well, wouldn't it be great if he came back? Oh, remember the time, you know, Beckham came back to Milan? And I'm like, this is all Ibrahimovic offering himself to Milan. And it got to the point where they were writing it in such a way that some some websites in this country said that it's, you know, here in England, it says, oh, it's a done deal. He's joining, joining Milan and he's going to get paid this much and whatever. But, you know, at that point, Leonardo's like, I think he actually came out and he said, like, well, he hasn't called me and I haven't called him, you know. so Do you think, do you think Leonardo wants him? No, I don't. I mean. They've got other priorities, surely. Hmm. I mean, I think. When they had everyone fit, Gattuso was moving towards them playing 4-4-2 uh, with Higuain and Cutrone. Now, the problem is they don't really have anyone to back up those guys unless Fabio Borini basically comes back and starts playing as a striker. The issue that they've got is centre-back with all these injuries at the moment and in midfield mm. where with Billier out, they don't have they don't have anyone who can sort of organise their play, get a passing game going. Out wide, they've got they've got the players they need. They've got Suzo, they've got Chalinod, who had probably had his best game this season. It wasn't great, but better than any outing so far this year. Hit the woodwork. Hit the woodwork. So, you know, I think they've got other priorities than, than Zlatan. This feels like a big Raiola power play. And it's going to be interesting to see, I think, how Milan react. Because, obviously, unless they can package something where they, I don't know, send Iwain back and that loan fee which isn't going to happen, I don't think it can even happen legally, it would be so out of kilter with the new regime, which is all about sort of, you know, not just building organically, but really maximizing and monetizing their stars. You know, you're not going to go and commercialize Ibrahimovic for, for six months. You it know. seems very Galliani. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, no. Okay. So 1-1 one, one draw Sunday evening, and then straight after that, uh, the riot of colour at the Marassi that was the Genoa derby. Uh, Genoa Sampdoria finished 1-1. Glorious scenes beforehand. It just looked uh, great, the Luigi Ferraris, for that. Um, but the two teams stay four and five points off the drop. Uh, and one other thing about Genoa, just because mm-hmm. for those who you couldn't have missed it if you were on social media at all, obviously Boca and River were supposed to play in the Libertadores final on Saturday and then Sunday and the return leg's been postponed again um the i think it's the the mayor of genoa offered look if you decide that you're going to play this game outside of argentina somewhere else why don't you come and play it in marassi given that both clubs were were founded by immigrants from from genoa in fact both are known as genesi which means people from genoa Obviously, I hope that they can play the match at the Monumental and it's full and nothing bad happens. But if they decide that they really don't have the condition of the play abroad, rather than going and playing it in, in the desert in Abu Dhabi, is, <laughs> yeah. has been suggested by some. Um, well, as a forerunner to the World Club's Cup, no? Yeah, because one of these, obviously the winner is going to play in the, in, the, in the Club World Cup. I said, wow, Genoa wouldn't be so bad. And it's about halfway between Abu Dhabi and, uh, and Buenos Aires. Mm. Food for thought. I suppose it is. I suppose it is. Very nice. Okay, well, we'll we'll wait to see what happens about that. Meantime, that's it for this edition of Golazzo. Next week, 
if there's anything you'd like us to talk about in particular in that or a future edition of Golazzo, at AC Jimbo is a good place to do it, or at The Totally Show. James, look forward to seeing you next week. Yes. Also you, Dottore. Yes, absolutely. And you, listener. For now, from all of us here, it's Arrivederci. You've been listening to Galazzo, the totally Italian football show. It's a Muddy Knees Media production, and for sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Check out our other football shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audio Boom, and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. <laughs>